Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Your Governor Kathy Hochul, a Democrat, has condemned state Democratic Party Chair Jay Jacobs' remarks comparing an African-American Buffalo mayoral candidate to a Ku Klux Klan leader. But Hochul stopped short of calling for the resignation of Jacobs, saying for now she's satisfied with his apology. More from the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt. Jacobs, in an interview with Spectrum News, made an analogy between Buffalo mayoral candidate India Walton and former KKK leader David Duke. Jacobs was asked whether he would endorse Walton over four-term incumbent Mayor Byron Brown, who lost the June primary to Walton. Brown and Walton are both African-American. Jacobs answered that as party chair, he does not feel he has to endorse Walton, who also identifies as a socialist. And he compared the situation to a party party chair not endorsing David Duke if Duke were to hypothetically win a primary in a Democratic mayoral race in a city in New York. Jacob said he did not consider Walton to be in the same category as the KKK leader, but his remarks drew condemnation from many Democratic leaders in the state, including U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Governor Hochul. What Jay Jacobs did was wrong. It was very disturbing, clearly unacceptable, and it was hurtful. India Walton did not deserve that. Jacobs, after an initial statement defending his remarks, issued an apology. Some Democrats say the party chair should resign. Hochul, for now, is not calling on Jacobs to exit. He has apologized, and I'm willing to just assess the situation going forward. On October 4th, Jacobs held a press conference asking potential political rivals to Hochul to stand down and let the new governor have a chance to become established before announcing a primary challenge to her. Hochul, a Buffalo native, says she does not intend to endorse a candidate for the mayoral race. Hochul's an ally of the current mayor who's running a write-in campaign. My position is I will support whoever emerges from that election and they will consider me a strong partner because I need them to be successful. Hochul then abruptly ended her question and answer session with reporters. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate you coming out today. Senator Schumer, who called Jacobs' remarks outrageous and unacceptable, is also not weighing in on whether Walton or Brown would be the better mayor. Schumer was asked about it during an appearance near Albany on Monday. Today's a day to talk about what's going on in Washington. It's not a day for politics. It's not a day for politics. I'm talking about what's going on in Washington. Other questions? The controversy comes as a new Siena College poll finds Hochul leading any potential opponents by double digits, and she is viewed favorably by 42 percent of New Yorkers, though around one-third still don't know enough about her to have an opinion. Voters remain divided, though, on whether Hochul, who has been in office for less than two months, is doing a good job handling the pandemic and the spate of natural disasters that have hit the state recently. And the majority do not believe she is doing a good job strengthening the economy or cleaning up corruption in state government. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartalk. Alan, as our Karen DeWitt, 
just reported. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has condemned the Democratic Party chair, Jay Jacobs, remarks comparing an African-American Buffalo mayoral candidate to a Ku Klux Klan leader. But Hochul stopped short of calling for the resignation of Jacobs, saying for now she is satisfied with his apology. It was quite a kerfuffle, not only, of course, among the Republicans, but the Democratic governor had to respond. And it's revved up the progressives, including now Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, coming to Buffalo for early voting rally for India Walton, a avowed socialist. What do you make of this whole thing? Well, let's face it, Jacobs himself is walking the sharp side of the razor blade. He was able to survive when he decried the Cuomo administration in a way in a way he did, and said he was all for the new governor. So therefore, in the political parlance, he's owed. Whether or not, as Democratic chairman, he should be doing this is another story. And I don't know. I don't really know what's going to happen. The governor is obviously in a tough spot here. If she doesn't go after him and wrap him on the knuckles, she looks weak because this was not okayed, and obviously she has her own strategy on this election. So she says you shouldn't have done that. Whether or not she's going to try to save him from himself in this isn't anybody's guess. You think his days are numbered? Yeah, I think when you become governor of New York and you're a Democrat, tradition has it that you pick the person who will be the party chair. And obviously Cuomo picked him. Now he has tried to save himself, I think, and I've talked to him about this, by saying that he is not a Cuomo fan anymore. For that, he's owed. So it's a balancing act on her part. He is the chairman of the Democratic Party. He knows an awful lot of people. She is going to be going into a primary. He is for her for now. She's got to worry about that, too. Well, Alan, we saw this week the Senate GOP blocking the Democrats. This is the U.S. Senate now, voting rights slash election bill. And, of course, New York's own Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader. How's he been doing in these negotiations? Well, Chuck Schumer is anything but a flaming liberal. He's a moderate. I respect that. Believe me, I do. And he obviously has to please an awful lot of senators from Joe Manchin, who we talk about every once in a while, who threatens to go over to the other side or at least to get out of the Democratic side, all the way to the more liberal members of the Senate. So he is not a guy who you say, oh boy, he is my guy. He's terrific. He, what he is is a word I use quite often, and that is he's competent. He is not somebody who is going to light the match that will explode everything. Speaking of explosion, there could be an explosion of candidates soon in the gubernatorial race. We know that, Alan, the, oh, the, yeah. the primary is moved up. It's in June this year, which means the organizing nomination gatherings will be in February. And that means people, if they're going to jump in, need to do it very soon. I'm guessing, you know, in November or early December. So we could see a big change real quick. Well, right now, the present governor, Hochul, is leading in these polls among the various candidates. It may stop some, it may not. Let me put it this way. If there are a lot of candidates, anything could happen. I think that Andrew Cuomo must, and I know him pretty well in terms of what to expect, must be thinking of saving whatever he can by jumping into the primary. And if there's a huge number in the primary and the Cuomo voters come out, he could win. Right now, the polling isn't showing that. But, you know, do I think he's done? Not in his mind, he's not.
And then, of course, there's the question as to Tish James. And she has my respect, I'll tell you that much. She's been a terrific attorney general. She is of color. If black voters come out, that's going to be huge for her. Now, of course, Kathy Hochul has chosen as her running mate a black man from the New York City area. I'm sure that's an understanding of what Tish James's potential is here. So it's going to be an interesting primary, all right. It depends who gets scared off. It depends whether people will say, oh, no, I'm not going to enter this because she's ahead in the polls. Well, she's ahead because she's the incumbent. She's the governor. She certainly has been playing her cards in a competent manner, and therefore she's ahead in the polling. Will we see the others dropping out because she's ahead? That's the key question here. And there are the Republicans most likely to nominate a Trumper, Lee Zeldin. Yeah, I don't think in blue state New York that the Trumpers are going to win. The Republicans are going to win. And now the Trumpers and the Republicans seem to be one of the same. I don't think that that's going to happen. Obviously, I believe Zeldin was a poor choice and a choice that was to be expected because Trump is in such control of the party. He is a Trumper. Alan Jacob, the ethics group, which has come under such criticism that it's almost officially known as J-Joke, the current governor, Hochul, has begun replacing people on that board, former Cuomo appointees. But should the board just be dissolved and start with something more independent? Well, you know, every time they try that kind of thing, it doesn't work. We have to see whether Kathy Hochul is a person who is dedicated to really making a change here. Or whether the change, as you just suggest, starting over or adding people, is just one more way we have seen it work that whoever gets gets on and is appointed by a sitting governor tends to vote that way. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartong. listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. There are some ballot questions coming in the next election in New York. The Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus sat down with Richard Rifkin, Albany Law School Government Law Center legal director, to gather a little bit better understanding. So take us through uh, what the ballot questions uh, are this year, and let's start with the easier ones. Okay, the, let, let's start with same-day registration, which will be Proposition 3 
In total, there will be five propositions on statewide propositions on the ballot. Um, there is now a requirement in the state constitution that registration must be completed 10 days before election day. And in fact, under the statute, it has to be 25 days before election day. This means that if a voter goes to the polls and wishes to vote, but it turns out the voter is not registered, that voter will be turned away. This constitutional amendment would allow a voter in that position to register and vote at the same time. That's why it's called same-day registration. Um, And what will happen is uh, the ballot that is cast will be cast on paper. It will be set aside. And then after Election Day, uh, the election officials will check to validate his or her registration. And if it's validated, they will count the ballot. If it's not validated, they will not count the ballot. Um, the reason for this provision is that there's a sense that people get interested in elections as you get closer to election day. There's a lot more in the media. There may be issues that arise that concern the voter. And they said, I want to cast a ballot in this election. But then it turns out under today's conditions, they cannot because they're not previously registered. Not to mention just old-fashioned procrastination. Procrastination is certainly one of them. In in that way, it will help democracy, in my view, because, after all, the more people that vote, the stronger our democracy. So presumably, uh, then, absentee, uh, no-excuse absentee balloting is much the same argument. Uh, Take us through that ballot question. Okay, on no excuse, this, is, this deals with people who wish to cast their ballots absentee. That is, they don't want to go to the polling place, or they want to mail it in, or there may be a post office drop or ballot drop where they can drop it off. Under the Constitution today, you may not cast an absentee ballot unless You are out of the area, meaning out of the county in which you live, or if it's New York City, out of the city in which you live, out of New York City, or you have an illness or a disability that precludes you from going to the polling place. And when you apply for an absentee ballot, you have to check off one of those excuses. If you do not, you are not entitled to vote by means of an absentee ballot. And if you wish to vote, you must go uh, to a polling place. This amendment would eliminate the need for an excuse so that any potential voter, if he or she wanted to vote, could simply apply and receive an absentee ballot. And we've already had a bit of a trial run with what this might look like because of the way COVID uh, impacted voting in 2020, right? That's correct. Uh, Last year, the governor, using his executive powers or the executive powers that were granted to him by the legislature, 
said that anyone who had a fear of COVID uh, because you had to go to the polling place to vote, you could check off the illness uh, excuse on the ballot. That's a that would be a legitimate checkoff, and then you can get an absentee ballot. But of course, the governor, in order to do that, had to say that fear of COVID is an illness that I think can no longer be done. Okay, now let's talk about ballot question number one, which uh, <laughs> brings to mind the Hydra from Greek myth. Uh, when you try to break it down, uh, help us out. Yes, well, if if we have about an hour, I can go over every provision (laughs) in Proposition 1. But let me try to make it as simple as possible, uh, which is not easy, by the way. In 2014, we adopted a constitutional amendment, which created something called the Independent Redistricting Commission, as we go about redistricting following the 2020 census. Uh, This amendment would change that whole process in a good number of ways, many many of which are highly technical. But let me try to go through what I consider the most important part of this proposition. First of all, it would require that all residents of the state, including non-citizens and Native Americans, be included in the population count. So that when you're looking at how many people are in a district, and the districts are supposed to basically be of equal population, you include non-citizens and Native Americans. Secondly, those individuals who are incarcerated will be counted at their last residence, not at the location in which they are serving time. This is important because we have a good number of upstate prisons, some of which may house thousands of individuals who have no real connection to the locality. So you don't want to count them as that locality because in, in many rural counties, that will significantly increase the population of the county. Now, I also should note that this is the rule that we have applied in New York to Senate and legislative districts this would apply them as well to congressional districts. Another provision, and this is may or may not be seen as some as significant, but it would establish 63 districts in our state Senate. Some people who are knowledgeable might say, well, we already have 63 districts, but the number has changed over the years, and the legislature has been able to change the number of districts. This would fix the number 63 in the Constitution. There are some other provisions dealing with how the procedure for redistricting, and it becomes highly, highly technical, but to try to make it as simple as possible. The Independent Redistricting Commission has 10 members, five who are generally Democratic-leaning and five who are Republican-leaning. This amendment would require seven votes for the commission to approve any plan, which then, by the way, has to go to the legislature. If there are seven votes to approve a plan, then a majority of the legislature 
would need to approve the plan for it to become effective. And by the way, the governor would have to uh, approve the bill uh, in which those maps are defined. If no plan gets seven votes, then the plan or plans getting the most votes on the commission will be submitted to the legislature. And in order to approve one of those plans, you would need a 60 percent legislative majority in each house rather than just a simple majority. And finally, if the commission does not vote on any plan, or at least doesn't have a sufficient number of votes to approve any plan, all plan or plans that have been drafted by the commission go to the legislature. And then the legislature can adopt either one or amend any one of them as it pleases and then adopt it. So that would be the new procedure should the constitutional amendment be adopted. How does that factor into the current redistricting process that's already underway in New York State? There are just simply different requirements. For instance, any plan now sent to the legislature would have to be approved by two-thirds. Under, under, under the uh, current rule, here, as I say, it might be only a majority approval or it might be a 60% approval, depending upon uh, what is submitted to the legislature. Uh, one of the arguments that are being made is that this makes things easier and gives more power to the majority party in the legislature. Um, and, re- and reduces the power of the minority parties. And one, and one of the interesting aspects of all these rule changes contained in Proposition 1 is that they are effective on January 1, 2022, while we will still be in the current redistricting process. So the applicable rules beginning in January will depend upon whether the voters approve or turn down this proposition. Right. So voters in this one specific instance have a lot of, say, a couple of steps removed from the 2022 maps. That's correct. That's correct. I mean, uh, none of this is, is, is directly affects them to the extent it's like how they vote. But in terms of how the redistricting process will proceed, starting in January, passage or defeat of this amendment will make a difference. Albany Law School Government Law Center Legal Director Richard Rifkin, speaking with the Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York state government and politics, I'm David Gustina. U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was in Colony early this week to outline plans to counter high heating costs this winter. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas was there and filed this report. On a visit to the Senior Services Center, Schumer revealed a two-pronged plan for the federal government to help upstate New York families and residents pay for heat. One to get the federal government to quickly release the capital region's federal energy assistance dollars. In past years, they didn't release it quickly enough. People needed the help. 
and they didn't get it. So we want the dollars there now. They shouldn't wait till December or January when it's really, really cold. But second, I'm telling the agencies um, the, that give this money out, it's the Department of Health and Human Services, Second, I'm announcing a $100 million increase in the upcoming budget because the prices are high. Albany County Department for Aging Commissioner Deb Britano. 68,000 seniors live in Albany County. Approximately 22% use the HEAP program. We estimate that another 10% might be eligible but don't apply. It is disconcerting to know that some seniors will make a choice between paying for their HEAP or paying for their prescriptions. Either choice will lead to increasing illness among our senior neighbors. We are very concerned about the affordability of heat this, this winter for everyone, but in particular those who struggle every day to afford their utility services. Schumer says with the start of the new budget on December 3rd, there should be enough heap money to last all through winter. He's pressing HHS to release the funds as applications are logged and says those applications are now available across the capital region for seniors and others to fill out. The federal account was funded with more than $3 billion last year. Schumer says it's not at risk of failing to make payments, but he wants all payments to New Yorkers expedited, given the pricing predictions. So to our friends at the Home Health and Human Services uh, Department, which controls the HEAP program, we have four words to the feds, to these agencies. The HEAT is on. The Department of Health and Human Services did not immediately respond to a request for comment. The Democratic majority leader says last year, more than 55,000 capital region households tapped roughly $20 million in home energy assistance. But with pandemic-related supply chain issues expected to hike utility prices, he says the pressure is on to get ahead of the problem. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. That about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2143. Or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.